Welcome to 2023, Scams and Cons fans. I'll be back in a few days to tell you about the fourth season of Scams and Cons. We're making some changes so we can bring you some new, different, and exciting stories, but we'll talk about those later. Right now, I want to talk to you about my favorite, okay, second favorite, scam podcast. It's called Scamapalooza. It's produced in Australia and hosted by Nicholas J. Johnson. In addition to being an accomplished podcaster, he's one of Australia's best magicians and humorists. He's done books, speeches, and all the other kinds of things that you'd expect self-promoters like us to do. So why am I telling you about this guy? Well, it's not because he's paying me, although if I'm in Australia, I'll expect two free tickets to one of his shows. It's as simple as this. A few years ago, he had to step away from his podcast to become a father and slide into his dream job as a curator of magic. With all that sorted, he's back behind the microphone bringing Scamapalooza back to life. Once you listen to the following episode, I'm confident Scamapalooza will become your second favorite scam podcast as well. This is Scamapalooza, a podcast about scams, illusions, and why humans are so easily deceived. For more information on today's show, check out conman.com.au. And if you do enjoy the podcast, please leave a review wherever you listen. There has been a weird evolution in the wellness industry. What was once a market dominated by new age, holistic self-care has seen a recent rise in hyper-masculine, ideology-driven bro science. Forget Gwyneth Paltrow's jade vagina eggs. These are health products that advocate eating raw liver, dangerous workouts, and tanning your testicles. On this episode of Scamapalooza, I talk to Dr. Viom Sharma about what bro science means for men's health and how we think about what it means to be a man. In our conversation, Viom suggests that bro science advocate, the liver king, is on steroids, a claim that I thought might be libelous until it was revealed to be true three days after we recorded our chat. Viom knows what he is talking about. My name is Nicholas J. Johnson, and this is Scamapalooza. I just realized this is your second time on, on the podcast. And the last time you were on the podcast was six years ago. Uh, and a lot has changed for you in that you have become a public health. Um, what do you do? Now? Know, when it comes down to putting things down on bios, I say I'm a, a health commentator. I suppose that's how I often get described. Basically, just speaking publicly about all things health. Six years ago, I was doing it to some minor, small extents, you know, talk, giving the occasional kind of public talk once in a while for a company. Or I think at that point, I was still doing Triple uh, R Radio, um, where mm. roughly once a month uh, I was hosting the show Radiotherapy. But ever since then, a lot's happened. The pandemic happened, which really, I think, accelerated everything for me in terms of speak publicly about health. Yeah, Now people really want to hear about their health. And are you still practicing as a GP? Can people come and get their temperature checked by you still? <laughs> That's all I do. I just uh, aim the little ray gun on their forehead and say, nah, you're good. Uh, yeah, no, so <laughs> still working, at, uh, well, certainly working as a, as a doctor in various capacities. So um, one of the things I'm doing is working at the GP respiratory clinics. So often those people can't get seen by their GPs because of various infection control measures. So they'll come to a GP respiratory clinic. I'm there. I'm also the general practitioner for 
a bunch of residents in aged care. So I'll pop down to, to several facilities. Uh, so I'm not doing your, your classic general practice clinic work, but still working as a GP, just in, in uh, other settings, so to speak. But which is good. I imagine it would be difficult to be someone who is uh, a, a health commentator if you're not actually practicing medicine, if you're not actually treating patients and talking to other doctors in a, in a practical sense, if you're just on the outside, I guess that would, it would become hard to do that, right? It's funny, isn't it? Uh, you'd think it'd become hard and yet there seems to be no lack of people who f- feel free to be commenting on, on health without any of that experience. Um, and I, I don't even... Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and, and that's clearly a, a bit of a jive at people who uh, who represent themselves as experts. But but then there's quite sensible people too. So say for, for example, someone like Dr. Norman Swan, who, um, you know, who's been a really foremost commentator uh, in, in Australian health landscape for, for, for decades now, um, he hasn't seen a patient for many decades now. Uh, but at least, yeah, he's had some training, of course, uh, as, as a junior doctor and everything else. But, yeah, you, you see it come through. Who has actually seen patients? Who's had real conversations behind closed doors with people about health and, and who hasn't? It becomes pretty obvious once you actually hear them speak out loud. And that's what we're talking about today is is health and, and public conversations about health, specifically men's health, and the fantastic phrase bro science. I first became familiar with bro science. Tucker Carlson, the American, um, I was going to say journalist, but that's unfair <laughs> to journalists. The American, well, that's unfair to Americans. <laughs> Tucker Carlson, who is Tucker Carlson, uh, made a, a bizarre documentary about I think it's called The End of Men. And in it, there is a lot of talk about men's health, including the the incredible claim that men should be getting their testicles tanned on a regular basis to improve their virility, uh, despite the fact that there is no medical evidence to back that claim up. And and please correct me on this, the, the, that's probably if you had to choose whether it was good or bad for your <laughs> sperm count, tanning your testicles regularly would probably fall under the, the bad side. You know, side, it's funny, right? yeah, you don't really even need to be a medical professional to be the, on the right side of that. And uh, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's, that was one of the, the, the things from that, which, that documentary, which, do we call it a documentary? What the hell was it, you know? Yeah, I don't know what. It was very strange, very strange. Yeah. Um, and one of the funny things about Tucker Carlson is, like a lot of commentators of his ilk, they are kind of okay to say things that they don't even necessarily believe in their heart because it helps sell the, the kind of broader agenda they have. Like, I, I think if you took him behind closed doors and asked him, I don't know if he'd believe that crap. But really, it's about the bigger picture, which is that you know, men are under attack. Uh, that's the kind of narrative he's going with. And if part of that is, is co-opting this, you know, this, this tanning movement, so to speak, of, of the Pyrenean area, because those people also sing from the same hymn sheet, then you know, he's got an ally. And that seems to be a big part of that, that type of, um, of, of public speech, which is to find an enemy and to, to, to say, these are the bad guys, we're the good guys, do this and you're a good guy, do that and you're a bad guy. You know, there are people that you don't like who are attacking men. I think men are great, therefore everything I say is correct. And, and you should be doing it as as well. It, how does that play out then in, in a medical sense? How, how does that because we, I mean, there's the war on Christmas, you know, like it doesn't have to necessarily be related to health. But I feel like in the in the 
the health sphere, that that idea, that opposition that that they try to create with everything is is obviously it's harmful, but it also seems to go against the basic idea of of science and of medicine, which is not so much that there is good guys and bad guys, so much as there are things which are you know good for you and things that are healthy and things that aren't. Um, yeah, so certainly when we're talking about well, when we're talking about healthcare and, and that idea of the, this this enemy, so to speak, which I guess you know we've brought up Tucker Carlson and that attack of men, but let's let's kind of go with that. Um, there, that comes with certain values that they're trying to to uh, to, to protect, so to speak, which is the, you know, this apparent claimed you know, demasculinization of men. So, as a consequence, the the kind of health measures that they start promoting are these. You know, hype, seen as these hyper-masculine measures. Uh, so it's really kind of no coincidence that we've seen the rise of the carnivore diet um, you know, to, to the caricatured extent of people like Liver King. I don't know if you know who Liver King is. Uh, Nick, do you? No, I don't. Okay, right. I mean, this, this by the way. See, Wait, are you saying Liver? Li- sorry, is, is that someone's name or is that, that like that, a... That, that's the dude's name. So there is, there's a dude. His name is Liver, yep. as in the organ, the Liver King. Yep. And he, if you look at him, he just looks like just a giant, like, steroid molecule, basically. Like 0.1% body fat, big bushy beard, uh, walks around barefoot, you know, basically lays that claim, you know, like that, yeah, man and health was at its peak in the prehistoric era, and he he eats liver like he'll just eat, he'll eat a lot of raw meat, total carnivore, and he's kind of like the well, this almost like this caricature of this you know this carnivore only uh, kind of diet movement that's emerged over the last uh, last several years, um, and again the it's so clearly linked to that social movement of. Well, masculinity is under attack, so we need to be more masculine in every way. So it comes down to eating meat because it involves killing people and as well, some people. Okay, no, 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 um, and also the kind of exercises uh, that that this guy is promoting is you know, these extremely hypertrophy uh, focused uh, kind of strength uh, focused uh, exercises. And again, if we talk about what you said earlier, which is that's not how science works, which is we're trying to you know, find truth wherever it lies. Uh, they're trying to find you know elements of truth within this very narrow domain of well, what's the What's the most masculine thing, so to speak, uh, that that we can do, and where are the bits of truth within that domain? And of course, if you try to find uh, truth through those filters, you're only going to get part of the picture. And that, I, I mean, it, in the case of bro science, it, it it does seem to grow out of gyms. Like that seems to be where these you know people like him seem to thrive like this is essentially a kind of sure it's diet related but it sounds like he is a guy who is saying you also need to work out and you need to lift weights and you need to do your ropes and your you know (laughs) medicine ball i've forgotten the name i go to the gym three times a week and i've just forgotten the name of every single piece of gym equipment in in the gym (laughs) i'm struggling to name any of them um but it's like it, it 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 feels like that's the place where a lot of this kind of bro science 
like grows out of like it's i mean obviously there's you know podcasts there's youtube there's all of those things but you have this kind of space where uh particular you know men with perhaps those kind of attitudes will congregate and be able to kind of share that type of uh that type of idea and and i actually think there are some really good and uh positive and healthy reasons why a lot of that the, the bro science has emanated from the genes um, yeah, we have to take into account that actually the, the science of uh, fitness and exercise and nutrition is actually being really quite immature uh, and and poorly conducted, even by a kind of mainstream medicine. So we have to lead with that concession. On the other hand, uh, you know, when you look at gyms, particularly through the 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 seventies, the 80s, the 90s, that kind of golden era, you've got like about as empirical as evidence you can have of people who said, said they wanted to be healthy and they, you know, got results, whatever you call them. And many of those people, you know, were obviously bodybuilders and get visual, visual results, so to speak. Uh, and so you, you obviously think, well, this has got to be the source of truth on, on how to be healthier. And the reality is that that's often somewhat true, right? Like you, th- there are some truths that have been discovered in the gym uh, when it comes to men's uh, health in this really empirical manner. Uh, but the problem is, of course, that there are some uh, some good and narrow truths, but when they get generalised very broadly in a way that you know, that maybe don't, doesn't apply to everyone or in every single way, that's when you kind of have problems. Yeah? Bodybuilders are really good at getting, firstly, generally speaking, stronger, but also you know, volume-wise and bigger how much does that actually translate to any and all domains of health? That's pretty dubious mm. and it, it's varied and sometimes it does and sometimes it does not. But hey, when that becomes your source of truth, uh, that's it. But yeah, look, I, I think gyms you know, provide this very visual result to people at, at a time when, um, you know, which is to say the last couple of decades, when there actually hasn't been a lot of empirical factual truth about health and fitness coming out from the medical industry because we've been focused on you know other aspects, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I, you talked there a lot about the, the visual, um, I've forgotten the exact phrase you used, but you talked about the kind of visual benefits, the fact that um, people coming out of gyms and they look fit, you know, they are people who come out and they look ripped and yeah. they've got big muscles. Um, I've just looked up the liver king while we've been talking and he's got, you know, like you said, yeah, he looks like a like a bunch of walnuts stuffed into a condom, like it's, you know, extraordinary, like r- ridiculous, ridiculous body. Um, that is, that is, you know, like I'm not, uh, yeah, I, I think it's probably the result of something other than, um, than oh, guaranteed. Like, I mean, he'll, and, and, you know, he'll yeah. maintain that he's not, as we say, enhanced, but my God, like you would test positive steroids from being in the same room with him. Like this guy yeah, is okay. absolutely, uh, you know, putting anything and everything into his body to look like that. And, and again, part of the problem is, of course, uh, he's not upfront with that at all. He's often evasive and will lie. Uh, but yeah, that, that's, mm. that's a big thing. Sorry, go on. And I think when, and it, it seems like, and this is not something that is restricted to bro science and men's health in particular, but there is a, a big part of this seems to be um, the appearance of, um, both health and the appearance of masculinity that 
it isn't like I go to the gym regularly and I'm quite strong and I, but I also don't eat particularly, you know, I don't, I don't weigh myself and I'm not really interested in, in looking like this guy. And so I don't look like a particularly fit, strong person like you would imagine. Um, because that's not really my focus when I, you know, when I, when I exercise, but it seems though that a lot of this is performative, that a lot of it feels like, um, it, you know, it doesn't actually matter how strong I am or how strong I feel, or as you said, all of these other, you know, health domains, it's how I appear is the most important thing. Like, do I look and appear to be this idea of, uh, hyper masculine you know male and that seems to be really where where the focus is with a lot of this bro science like how do you appear to other people and how how do you um demonstrate and perform you know that idea to other people yeah that's definitely where most of the focus i think is either explicitly or implicitly on the aesthetic side of health and yeah part of that is of course well you know, it's the, the bit that's easiest to assess, right? Um, it's uh, you, you look at someone or you look at yourself, there it is. There's all the kind of data you, you need to make an aesthetic assessment. But, you know, make an assessment about someone's metabolic health, that's complicated. What parameters are we looking at? Um, uh, you know, how do you measure that uh, through, through, through the various tests, etc.? You know, there are things that contribute to it that you can't change, like your genetic history, your, your, your family medical history. Uh, you know, everything from mental health to, 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 to focus and, and mood, um, all those things, they're quite difficult to, to measure and represent uh, externally, be it through images and social media than the other. So there's, there's that side of it. But then there's also just the side of it that that is, as it turns out, something we value highly as a society, how, quote unquote, good you look. Um, so you kind of have this perfect confluence of societal values, which are quite dubious, uh, versus the fact that assessing someone's aesthetics or, or yourself is incredibly easy to do. And then, yeah, you end up with this, uh, kind of vicious cycle of everything in you know, endlessly being about, uh, aesthetics. So yeah, it's, it's a huge trap and there are other domains that bro science does try to, to kind of explore. There's a little bit of that happening at the moment. But so much of the conversation and efforts almost always just kind of come back to aesthetics time and time again, which is, like we said, you know, just one of the domains. You, you mentioned the things which are difficult to measure. And it does seem, and I think this is probably true across health in general, that we do really focus on things which are easy to measure and things which are easy to see when it comes to health. So how much you weigh when you get on the scale, that's very easy to measure. Whereas things, other things you mentioned, like, well, like sleep, for example, is very hard to measure. And even when you do measure it, those results are quite hard to uh, understand. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's quite difficult to actually say, exactly. well, so I ignore my sleep and just go, yeah, but when I get on the scale, I got this number and it's five kilograms less than it was a few months ago. Therefore, I'm fitter and a better person mm. and worthy of love <laughs> all the things that, that, and all the things that come with that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because everything else, all the other domains are, like we said, for all the reasons you mentioned, are a bit fuzzier. They can be typically a little bit harder to control. And in fact, in, in some ways, I, I think some of those other domains of health, the, the hard part is 
that you don't have as much control on, on it as you'd like to have. Uh, I mean, you know, weight is hard enough to control, um, but you know, my goodness, you know, your, your long-term mental health, uh, that's something you know, for some of us, there's, there's actually not nowhere near as much control over that as we'd like to have. Your, your metabolic health, so things like you know, your blood pressure, your, your sensitivity to insulin, your blood, uh, your blood glucose levels, again, all those things, harder to measure, uh, difficult to control over the long term in a way that, and again, it's quite tricky to control weight, but you know, in the short term at least, it's quite, it's much easier to get control of your weight per se by pulling all the leaves uh, available to you as opposed to all of those other, all of those other domains we've mentioned, and sleep and, and glucose and, uh, and, and mental health, all those things. Someone suggested that I needed more magnesium, and this was like a random non-health professional said, you should, you should consider having more magnesium, taking magnesium supplements. And I am, I am someone who's very suspicious of, of random advice, particularly when it comes to, you know, supplements of any sort. And, but so I looked up what the research said and it's sort of agreed that, yeah, that might be useful for me in this situation. But I, so I started asking people, and who are, you know, different medical professionals, you know, like, who did I ask? I, I will ask you, I asked you and I asked my doctor, my GP, and I, I have a, a psychiatrist that I see every six months and I asked her and, and all these different people and no one could say, yes, you should take magnesium supplements. No one could sort of say, that's a good thing that will be useful for you to have. And it was basically because there wasn't really any way of knowing for sure whether it was something that I needed. And in the end, my GP just goes, well, just take it and, you know, see how you feel. <laughs> and that was it. And I kind of go, I think, yeah, I think I feel bad. It could be a placebo, it might not be. Mm. And even though I still take it and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that it helps, it's not, I'm not getting that feeling of security that I would like <laughs> from you know from from the medical community mm. and so i can see why people would be attracted to particularly perhaps people who feel very uncertain when it comes to things like masculinity and so on but having a guy who like looks like the liver king and who comes in and goes eat liver lift weights suck it up be a man that true or false like would just be very comforting massively uh so supplements are a huge aspect of the bro science industry um either directly because people will, you know, kind of extol the virtues of, you know, the mineral or vitamin du jour, and at the moment it is magnesium, um, or because... Oh, so wait, so I'm I'm on the, this is like a, I'm part of a, a trend oh, that I, this, the... Magnesium is popping off, and uh, yeah, you, right. you ride the wave, my friend, oh, yeah. Wow, I, I didn't realize, I'm not normally, I'm not normally like you know, on the zeitgeist. So I feel pretty, pretty cool. You, you are- I'm going to go tell my kids. I'm going to go tell my kids. So they think I'm, hey guys, hey guys, we upset I'm cool. Cause I take, you know, those disgusting magnesium things I have in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. No, they make me cool. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Look, look, look kids. I'm, I'm flossing. <laughs> All right. Oh God. Uh, yeah. It's funny how, um, how you've, you've kind of told the story of magnesium here. You, someone told you about it. You then tried to go to trusted sources of information who couldn't give you a straight answer. Uh, and that's absolutely what's, what, what's happening for you now. But we kind of step back from that. If you look at it from my perspective as a health professional, this happens every two or three years and there will be a, a new supplement or whatever it is that kind of comes along um, uh, that, that is popular at, at that moment. 
And then it'll just kind of fade back into obscurity. And now no one's talking, right? Um, but the reason these things happen is you, you'll occasionally get a study that'll come out like that, you know, that one study that shows generally speaking kind of positive results. And for you know, the, the listeners who are familiar with science, the, the key thing we're looking for, if one study says, you know, this supplement works is we're looking for replication. We're, we're looking to see are multiple studies proving this correct in the same way. The, the, the point is though, that once you've made that initial discovery, that, Hey, this thing might work. Um, there's like, there's really no incentive for anyone to check really, because if you're doing the checking work by replicating the study, you're not actually investigating something new and interesting. You're just revisiting something old. And, you know, the, the, what's new and exciting in the world of science is you know, really where, where all the, 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 the funding and the kudos kind of goes. So you'll get an element of truth, right? It'll get often get kind of um, uh, extolled by some big figure in bro science. And, you know, anyone from, from, from medical people like Peter Atia to to one of the really popular you know, YouTubers or someone who will, will talk about it, filters down from person to person, you know, the, the, you know, the friends you work out with, in the gym, whatever. And then it kind of filters down to you. Then as medical professionals, we hear about it. Of course, you know, there's those studies, et cetera, they never really kind of get replicated. And then you know, inevitably we move on to a few years later to the next thing. Um, so the reality is there just isn't actually enough data. We, in the same way that I can look at the vaccine data and go, Yes, this has been proven through you know, various phases of trials and really large trials and internationally conducted and matching up with real life evidence. We're never going to get that level of certainty with these supplements. And as a result, you know, doctors like me will, will speak about it in, in kind of soft ways to go, I'm not really aware of any evidence. Even if I looked at, look it up, you know, I'm, we're, we're finding kind of conflicting, really weak uh, levels of evidence. So really, how much doctor, certainty can your doctor give you? It's, it's not much. On the other hand, you know, like your mate can give you a lot of certainty and, you know, the power of anecdote is, is so, is, you know, so, so incredibly powerful. It's, uh, if it worked for me, uh, that is a very powerful story to tell. And, and I, I really think this is how bro science kind of proliferates, really. Um, uh, there's no kind of grand conspiracy going on amongst these people. It's just everyone's trying to find the truth. You know, the, the level of certainty out there is actually quite low. You, you, you take people seriously on their words. You take the guy who's jacked at the gym. Like if you know, if he says it, then you know, gosh, I wonder if it's more likely to be true. And then yeah, and we're all just kind of wading through this soup of, of bro science knowledge. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of it bullshit. But yeah, as a result, you don't really get a lot of certainty out of medical professionals because we're we're, we're looking for high quality. Um, to be honest, we rarely find it. Is there a difference? between bro science which is this sort of hyper masculine science and whatever i don't know if there is a name for it but perhaps the sort of feminine i guess would be yeah. the opposite version of a female version of a women's version of this type of science i guess goop would maybe be yeah. where i would go for for, for the flip I, side I, well i think i think that the the industry that that targets and that women engage with most is we'd call it the wellness industry that is almost entirely has a, a very feminine aesthetic. Everything from the colors those those blogs will use to the language that is used. Uh, it's obviously very stereotyped. Like uh, no, uh, I'm, I'm not suggesting for a second that that's what that that's what all women are like. But that's certainly the audience that they play to with that aesthetic. So I think in the same way that the wellness industry has a, a more kind of feminine appeal bro science and affiliated industries have a much more masculine uh, um, uh, target, I suppose. 
And it's worth, I mean, it's worth noting we're talking here about two ends of a spectrum. Someone like me, who perhaps I am a man and I am interested in men's health because I have a male body as I, you know, move through the world, that it's very easy for someone like me to go, well, bro science doesn't affect me because I am not eating raw liver and carrying chains around in the forest shouting about feminism is ruining the world. (laughs) Therefore, I don't Therefore, those things don't affect me when, when, in fact, they probably do in more subtle ways. Like there is probably subtle ways which I, as you know, am being affected by some of these messages about men's health without necessarily realizing that that's what's happening. I totally with you. Like I certainly wouldn't consciously um, uh, associate myself with that with that imagery you've evoked of uh, walking through the forest uh, shouting about women. Um, but you know, the, 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 but certainly, for example, the aesthetic that that industry promotes or the, the specific you know, types and domains of fitnesses that it kind of values and overvalues, I find all the time I'll have a moment when I'm thinking about my own health that it be, that, that becomes the barometer against which I'm, I'm judging myself. And, yeah, and I, and I think it's a really, really great point you brought up that just because on a conscious level we don't agree with many of the messages there, that doesn't mean that it's not having some subconscious effect on our on our programming uh, for sure. So I it's certainly constantly I'll definitely think about um, everything from like you know, my muscularity to my to my raw strength etc. And that's often got roots um, in, in in what we've seen bro science culture kind of evolve. Um, and you know I think even kind of called calling a bro science culture might be a little bit too narrow, but just how Culturally speaking, men think about health. Uh, yeah, one of them is this hyper aesthetic, you know, pro masculine uh, way of thinking, which again has some good aspects to it, but many overemphasized unhealthy ones. Uh, the, the aesthetics being one of them, which is completely overvalued. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I spent probably 12, 15 years of my life, uh, almost 20 years of my life going, lose weight, get ripped. That's it. You know, that's that's my that was my health that was my healthcare um, considerations. That that's what I was thinking about. Like, oh, if something goes wrong, I'll go to the doctor. Uh, but aside from that, I'm gonna stop being fat because then I'll be a good person, yeah. and then I'll get ripped, and that will make me a be- a good person. <laughs> you know, that's that, that that's that's what will happen. And um, I really actually, I was thinking about it. I you know, my weight's gone up and down over the years, mm-hmm. but I've never had a time where I've been like where, you know, I've been like my weight has been low where I can't think of a single time where my weight's been low where I've thought, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, feeling, uh, I'm feeling really healthy at the moment, mm. like I'm sleeping well or I'm, you know, but it's just, you know, mental health, no, I'll ignore that until it completely crumbles, you know, like uh, sleep, no, that's not important, all of those things. And you suddenly go, oh, wait, like, uh, yeah, there is such a narrow, you know, you, you still, despite thinking of myself as a, as a, uh, as a fairly enlightened in the 21st century guy, I'm still falling into that same trap of like, you know, it's all about, yeah, it's all about being ripped and being strong and being uh, dominant, I think was a word you've mentioned before, like, you know, being able to control your world and control your body to show that you're in charge. Absolutely. And I think you, you've touched on something really subtle there, which I hope people are going to to pick up on, which is you can, on a conscious level, be enlightened, right? On a conscious level, 
we can all say the right things about, well, I don't think about my health in this narrow, superficial way that you described of lose weight, get ripped. Um, and, and yet on a subconscious level, uh, on a, a, in a way that we'd never verbalised, that's often the template of health that we will still carry. And it's so important for us to, to, to check in with that, with, the, with, with a lot of those feelings arise of shame and guilt and the, the kind of health that we kind of aspire towards that we feel deep inside ourselves, uh, often you'll see that, that actually doesn't match with the conscious language we use when we're otherwise, you know, in, at our most kind of enlightened. So I think there's a lot to be said for a lot of the deprogramming, deprogramming that needs to be done. Uh, the second thing you mentioned, you just mentioned about being kind of dominant in these ways. Um, it often it doesn't just come down to being, bro science, uh, the, the concept of, sorry, the, the concept of wanting to be dominant uh, and that being a driving value of health in the domain of bro science it doesn't always just come down to physical uh health it's often also about the way that bro science looks at mental health and psychological health so you'll see a lot of social media uh algorithmically is also about increasing your productivity to, to get the most to be the most focused you can be to be um to, to, to kind of achieve the best and maximize this, um, control this, all these words like maximize, achieve, control, like even when it comes to your psychological well-being, it's all just about being 10, 11 out of 10 uh, at every chance, uh, as opposed to, uh, for example, how the wellness industry, which as we discussed, has a much more uh, you know, female-centric kind of focus in a completely stereotyped way, of course. Um, is often not uh, so obsessed uh, with this concept of control and maximization. That's about harmony and feeling good <laughs> and uh, mm. forbid. Um, so yeah, even when it comes to, to, the, uh, to, to men's health being discussed on a psychological and emotional and, uh, and, um, um, and, and kind of mood and affect-based uh, level, it's so often just about maximizing going all the way out as opposed to some you know, more holistic sense of, of of well-being yeah and you've not i mean i've noticed in recent years there's been a big push to, towards stoicism uh, both stoicism is just a word that people use but also the, the philosophical school itself and how confusing the, the tenets of stoicism confusing that with this idea of, as you said, kind of control and productivity and being able to suffer through the indignities and pain and, and so on of life, suffering through life and not asking for help at all. But it's still kind of been rebranded as, as you said, like as a tool of, of productivity. I think there is an entire episode just on the productivity industry when it comes to, to deception and this idea we're kind of fooled into thinking that being productive is uh, firstly a good way to live your life like to be constantly productive and also that productivity is our responsibility you know that that you know and and not perhaps the organizations we work for and with um but that's a whole other episode i think and yet it ties uh in so well with everything we're talking about in terms of bro science i mean that's certainly where they kind of start to shift their attention um yeah and uh and you know it's again it's, it's going for a specific kind of type of man like if you look kind of look at the, the cultural heroes we've got at this point for for many young men 
for better or worse, and generally worse, it's it's the Mark Zuckerbergs, it is the Elon Musks, it is, uh, you know, it, it's. I mean, look at what Elon Musk has, has sent out in that email just recently in terms of uh, conversations about productivity. Uh, he wants his, his staff to be. I'm, I'm quoting here extremely hardcore. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah uh, when when it comes to to their work. Um, and yet, you know, if these are the kind of cultural heroes that we have at this point of, of, of men succeeding in the world, yeah, it's just this very unrealistic uh, uh, expectation and it makes for, coming back to what we're really talking about here, poor physical health, really, um, and how that's actually likely to impact you on the, both the short term and the long term, this, this idea that you need to be kind of endlessly productive to this completely unrealistic level. Yeah. And it seems as if if I am uh, incapable, and I'm look, I'm I am a self-employed magician and podcaster, um, and so the um, most of the um, ladies. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I mean, all of the pressures in my life to be productive are come from <laughs> me, and I think for me, if I fail, like if I was working for for Twitter, you know, because I know they need magicians and podcasters there they like they've <laughs> lost a lot of their magicians slash podcasters uh you know slash children's authors uh they've, they've got barely any left but if they, they hired me and were saying okay pull these 60 hour 70 hour weeks and and work this and, and i found myself unable to do that both i and the organization would paint that as a failure by me that i wasn't hardcore enough as he said yeah. or fit enough or productive enough and if i could just make myself fitter and more productive and better then i would be able to sort of take everything that is being thrown at and me. yet none of that language is ever applied back to workplaces how do we make you know the the structure of the organization fitter and better and more resilient you know why can't the workforce cope sorry, the organization cope rather if uh, if one employee is sick why why can't the entire structure cope with this, and yeah, it's it's almost entirely reliant on individuals uh, going far beyond what what we should expect of them. And there's there's no concept of redundancy uh, in terms of capacity uh, built into a lot of these modern organisations. They are you know, predicated upon um, the uh, every employee working to the absolute limits uh what will kill you we'll back it off a little bit that's how intense things are going to be um so you know I, this, this could be a really potentially watching the, the the demise of twitter uh uh unfold before us it could provide a really great opportunity i think to talk about health and well-being in these hyper masculine environments like who who would argue that what elon musk is doing is you could not argue that this wasn't exactly what the the hyper masculine preaching of productivity is all about, and we're seeing it crumble right in front of our eyes. So I hope this is going to drive a lot of conversation forwards and amongst employees, employers, and workplaces in the, in the months and years to come. So what you're saying is the workers should rise up and take control of the means of I'm production? I'm surprised it took us this long into the podcast to arrive at that conclusion, really. Um, <laughs> well, we had, to, we had to go through the wellness industry first before, <laughs> uh, before overthrowing capitalism um, and the patriarchy at the same time. I think. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Bjorn, uh, for the chat. I, I think the big takeaways uh, for, for me from our discussion is that we're, no, no one – 
you know, particularly men, is, is immune from bro science or the type of science that bro science is, that, that we can all kind of fall victim to it. And also we need to start getting our environments to take responsibility for our health just as much as, as we take responsibility ourselves. Indeed. It's absolutely spot on. Uh, I couldn't have said it better myself. And I'm going to go to Kmart now and get the uh, T-shirts printed with that on as the slogan. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or visit conman.com.au for more. Plus, there'll be a link in the show notes. And Nicholas, you can leave the tickets at the will call window. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? (coughs) Or just a horrible accident? (coughs) That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave four-year vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Slaycation.